Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and on this show, I have two new reviews for you. Here on FF Plus, the format is straightforward. Cover what I liked, what I didn't like, and then give you a recommendation. Simple, short, and always spoiler-free. First up is The Territory from National Geographic Documentary Films, directed by Alex Pritz. What's it about? The territory provides an immersive look at the tireless fight of the Amazon's indigenous Uru-U-Wawau people against the encroaching deforestation brought by farmers and illegal settlers. With awe-inspiring cinematography showcasing the titular landscape and richly textured sound design, the film takes audiences deep into the community and provides unprecedented access to the farmers and settlers illegally burning and clearing the protected indigenous land. Now, this is a documentary that has garnered quite a bit of praise already this year. It won the 2022 Golden Space Needle Award for Best Documentary at our local Seattle International Film Festival. And it also has won the 2022 Special Jury Award for Documentary Craft and World Cinema Documentary Audience Award at Sundance Film Festival. So, It has some accolades already that it is racking up, and I don't think this will be the last you hear of it. I think it is a film that is pretty vital, and not only is it important, it is crafted in a way that is very much technically superb. Uh, The immersive sound design that I mentioned right there in the What's It About section is incredible. It has a striking score as well, and some of the editing work and the cinematography between transitions of the beauty of the rainforest and then this devastation that is often laid upon it creates a really thorough sensory experience, as powerful, honestly, as the emotional one that comes via the storytelling. Now, one of the reasons that I love documentary filmmaking so much is because of how educational it can be. It's one thing to, quote, know that indigenous tribes and the rainforest are in danger. It's another entirely to see it dramatized. But it's so much more powerful watching an actual giant tree in the rainforest cut down and a section of the forest set on fire we hear stories of first contact about how white people brought gifts and disease and changed the way of life for this indigenous community forever. There is a section of this documentary that covers an elderly grandfather who was passing down knowledge and history of their people to a new and tiny generation. This tribe is down to like 180 people. They are on the brink of genocide at this point, and they go through the process of electing a new younger leader to help try and bring them into this next new world order, essentially, of how are they going to survive with these influences kind of crashing down around them from all sides. There's an environmental activist that's a big part of the film, and I really enjoy how that person Uh, is trying so hard to kind of fight for their rights to this land and how important it is that their culture is maintained. And it's just such a stark contrast 
the groups that are vying for this rainforest land are many. So you have one group of folks who are almost religiously motivated. It kind of as a Christian myself, it made me a little bit uneasy, honestly, because they were using the Bible and quoting it out of context, things that are so damaging to my faith and using that as justification for why they felt they were owed the right to this land that someone else already has claimed to, to the point where they would burn things down and try and push people out so that they could build their houses and take it over. You have another group of people who are farmers and want to own a whole big section of this community, this tribe's land, and take it over to farm for themselves. And they go the route of trying to get government permits and be, quote, legal about it. But essentially, they all want the same thing. It's just a whole bunch of groups that are fighting for this same patch of ground. And all around this rainforest, it is like closing in with just gross devastation. Just complete, it's, there are some drone shots in this that will really make your eyes just wide open and then almost instant tears because you're just seeing how completely ruined this beautiful area has been. This group of indigenous people have to deal with the dangers of uh, people trying to kill them, of people trying to do all sorts of things to get them to give up their land. Um, they still use bow and arrows to s protect themselves. There's a, a group of like security that goes around trying to fend off these land grabbers. It's awful. Um, it is a, a really, really powerful story that is being shown here. And it's a story in the sense that it's real people's lives, right? It's not just a fictional idea uh, to be made up and to like draw on the heartstrings. This is really happening and has happened before to many indigenous groups that have come before. There's also a fantastic point, I think, being made in this documentary about how access to certain technology, they use drones, they use radios and cameras and the internet and even the making of this film and how those things are enabling indigenous people to properly share their stories to as wide an audience as possible, uh, while simultaneously helping them to preserve their culture for future generations, because this is in an effort to make sure that they're able to pass on this knowledge. Again, we are under 180 people in this community. They will be experiencing genocide most likely before long. And what is going to be left of them? Hopefully, this documentary and some of the filmmaking that has taken place. The biggest negative of this is really just the fact that it's a downer through no fault of its own, I feel like the ultimate takeaway here is almost one of hopelessness. I don't know that that's what they were going for. In fact, I think that the documentary is aiming for the opposite. I think it wants you to be inspired to find some way to help these people to understand what they're going through. But there's some text on the screen at the end that indicates maybe things aren't even going that well since the filming ended and I just was left with a pit in my stomach thinking it's not going to be long before 
the overwhelming force of people trying to take what is theirs will push them out completely. I don't, they don't have a protection in a way that is going to let them survive this, in my opinion. It's sad. It's really sad and uh, depressing in a lot of ways. So it's a beautiful documentary from a visual and technical standpoint, like I said, and, and just getting to know these people, your heart will really go out to them. There are some amazing human beings that I think would be awesome to just sit down and share a meal with and learn from. But then there's that part of you that's like, well, what am I really going to do about this? Okay, so I watched this documentary and now my heart breaks and I know that these people are suffering, but I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go to my job and nothing is going to change in my life for better or for worse. You know, it's, I'm not really going to do anything. So what can we do? So I don't know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that question, but maybe it will make others think about that and seek out knowledge about what they can do if there is anything to help the uh, Uwawao people uh, in their fight to maintain their culture and their land. This film will be available in theaters on August the 19th, and I definitely am recommending it. It's one where normally documentaries are not something that most people probably go see in the theater unless they're incredibly cinematic, but the rainforest photography like I said, and just the technical elements of this would make it a really good watch in a theater. Plus, and I, you know, I'm going to say this speaking from experience, it is very easy to get distracted watching with subtitles at home for a lot of people. So if you're one of those people, and I'm not saying it's for everyone, many people are just fine watching films with subtitles at home. But I, I know that for a group of us, it's easy to pick up the phone and get distracted and miss some dialogue or miss a key emotional moment. And that doesn't happen in a theater because you're locked into the screen more. So for that reason, I also definitely highly recommend seeing this one that way. But if you don't and you can't, I'm sure it will be streaming most likely before the end of the year. Usually that's what happens with National Geographic documentaries. And for the last several years in a row, they've had one in Oscar contention and, and have made some of the best documentary films of the year. So I would expect that will be the case with the territory as well. Next up, we have Bullet Train from Sony Pictures, starring Brad Pitt, Joey King, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Andrew Koji, Hiroyuki Sanada, Michael Shannon, Benito A. Martinez Ocasio, and Sandra Bullock. It is directed by David Leitch, and it is written by Zach Olkowitz, based on the Japanese novel Maria Beetle, published in English as Bullet Train by Kotaro Isaka. What's it about? Trained killer Ladybug wants to give up the life, but is pulled back in by his handler, Maria Beetle, in order to collect a briefcase on a bullet train heading from Tokyo to Kyoto. On board the train, he and other competing assassins discover their objectives are all connected. Now, outside of having seen the same trailer for this film, I feel like a dozen times. I don't even think I saw a dozen movies in a theater, but I feel like many of them played this trailer multiple times. <laughs> it, just, it is one of those trailers that you get really tired of really quick, and I just felt like I've seen it so many times. But outside of that, I really didn't even know much about this at all. I knew that it was based on a Japanese novel, and so I was hoping for some rich Japanese setting and culture that was mixed into this, especially with it being set kind of uniquely 
on a train. Think kind of like speed on a bus. Also, Sandra Bullock, right, for the connection there. That's sort of what I was expecting from this going in. And, uh, you know, a group of assassins, all with different skills, coming together, some incredible fight scenes. I did not realize going in that David Leitch was the director, and that's my bad in a way, because I think it would have maybe mentally prepared me a little bit better for what I was going to get. I am mixed on this film overall. The comment that I gave our press reps when I left my screening of the movie was, this is the Ryan Reynoldsification of Brad Pitt. He is basically playing a zen Deadpool in this movie. So David Leitch, if you're unfamiliar, he was a former stuntman and stunt coordinator who is responsible for directing Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, and the Fast and Furious spinoff Hobbs and Shaw. This after having co-directed John Wick with Chad Stahelski. All of these movies, except for Atomic Blonde, you know, not John Wick, but like the two movies that he's really responsible for, the Deadpool stuff and Hobbs and Shaw, it's action comedy. And we are trending in America cinema towards this action comedy blending that is very little meat on the bones. It's very loud. It's explosive action versus well-crafted action, if that makes sense. Like, we're not talking about incredibly, interestingly choreographed fight scenes. We're talking about edited footage in a way that feels bombastic and bloody and big and is often accompanied by lots and lots and lots of loud music and in this case really great sound design i thought that was one element of this film that stood out strongly in fact my son a couple times jumped uh, because of not necessarily jump scares but just the sound design was so effective in things that were happening but this is the way that the movie is are going right the gray man is another example of this. It's a big budget, blockbustery action. The action doesn't look that great. It's just so over the top, kinetic and bombastic that you're almost lulled into this false sense of enjoyment with it because there's just so much going on. It's nonstop. It's in your face. Like you don't really have time to stop and think about whether it's good or not because it's just happening so fast. And yet the heart, the the storytelling is suffering. So the movie is really hanging its hat on the quips and the dialogue and the charisma of whatever actors are in the movie. And this one does a pretty good job of that. I think this cast is pretty great and full of actors that do have that kind of charisma. Specifically, there is great chemistry between Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who play a pair of assassins who are a team. Their relationship is really fun to see play out the way that they talk to each other uh, throughout the movie. And it's just, it's a lot, right? It's a lot. It's, it's constantly throwing in jokes at you every time you start to think about maybe the realism of the story or the fact that maybe the mystery isn't actually being progressed at all or the characters are just thrown together in this way that is silly and creates conflict in them that can be solved by witty comments 
as much as it can by fighting versus maybe a more realistic assassin movie where they're not going to talk before they go through with things. They're not going to have these deep conversations. They're not going to pause to throw water bottles at each other, uh, you know, and be funny about things. They're going to just kill each other as fast and as effectively as possible. Uh, Anyway, my son loved it. He told me after the movie that he just thinks that murder comedies are super fun. I, my other two guests that went and saw this film with me both absolutely loved it. You know, they talked about it as how it was like a very popcorn movie, a turn your brain off and just enjoy the over the top, loud, explosive nature of it. So I get it. I get that this is what a lot of people like. And if you enjoy those previous films by David Leitch, like the Deadpool movies, like Hobbs and Shaw, this is going to be for you. If you want to see Brad Pitt trying to do his best Ryan Reynolds impression, and he's pretty good at it at times, this will be for you. Uh, I did like some of the jokes. I thought there are times when they're pretty funny. There are times when I was actively hating myself because I didn't want to give the film any credit whatsoever because it was annoying me so much under the surface. I wanted so much more from this. I wanted something deeper. And I just, you don't, there's lots of issues with it, okay? So one specifically is that you don't really ever have a great sense of why everyone is there until almost the very end of the movie because it's taking that Agatha Christie-style murder on the Orient Express and you know putting all these people in a situation. And then at the end, how is it resolved? Of course it's resolved by an annoyingly long, typical villain monologue with flashbacks where he is explaining how everything got brought together and why these things are here and why each and everything connected in the way that it did. Just not my favorite type of storytelling. That's not how I want things to be expressed to me. There are so many cliches in this movie. There are flashbacks where characters will stop to talk and directly address the camera, breaking the fourth wall. In a sense, there are multiple times where this bullet train that is supposedly full of people, at least at the beginning of it, there's nobody around. And so everything is super convenient. Like You have these multiple assassins on a train, killing people, fighting constantly. And it's like nobody on the train ever ever is aware of anything happening. Like not a single time, not a person that works on the train, not another passenger. There's a snake in the film and it often goes completely just ignored. Like characters will notice it and just kind of be like, huh, okay. And they'll go about their business and just not even act like they realize this thing was there. So there are so many annoying, like, forced just just it's forcing the action to keep going and the jokes to keep coming and if anything that is not in service of those things is completely just put to the side like actual character development it's not there it, it just is not there and that really hurts a movie for me i also didn't like the fact that it felt as if that setting the japanese location was not really used in any interesting way whatsoever. The Japanese characters that are in the film, there should have been more. Frankly, it's not a lot. 
and particularly one that probably should have been. It's handled in such a jokey manner. They try at one point to kind of bring back this vibe of cultural significance and honor and these values that we tend to associate with Japanese warriors, uh, protecting family. And it by the time they do that, again, it's mixed with so many jokes that you just don't get the feeling from it. There's no emotional connection for me to what is going down at that point. Like I, I can sit back and be like, okay, it looks fine. You know, it's fine to watch or whatever, but like, I don't care at all. When I walk out of the movie, I completely forget it. I don't know the characters' names. I don't remember them. I don't have feelings for them. And the why characters are doing what they are is missing for me. Not the why in the fictional sense of like tangible, like I know that someone is trying to get from point A to point B, but the emotional intelligent why is what is really not there for me. It feels like it's trying so hard to be clever and it wants to be like Tarantino-esque and it just fails miserably at that for me. So that's it. Like there are also some cameos in this movie that are there and I think American audiences are probably going to love them, frankly. They are purely there for gags and those gags are extremely on-brand types of gags for the people involved in them. Again, not my thing, but I think that like my guests and like my son, there's going to be a large segment of the audience that's like, man, this was a blast to watch and I had so much fun. Overall, for me, I'm just lower on it because I'm tired of action movies going this route and I want intelligent cinema. Like, Michael Bay's Ambulance is smarter than this movie. And I way prefer Michael Bay's Ambulance to something like this. And it's also something that is kind of similar in that it's a vehicle that's constantly moving, it's kinetic, it's nonstop picture, but it has so much more interesting to say about the characters than the ones that we get in this film. And that's a real shame because the talent is there and the screenwriting just absolutely cannot live up to it. It makes me want to read the Japanese novel simply because I bet you that there's so much more depth in it than what we got here in the translation, the adaptation version. Bullet Train will be in theaters on August the 5th. And I, I mean, am I feeling it? I, it? I feel like I've given you everything you need to know to make your decision. It will look great and it will sound great in a theater. So if this is your style, you absolutely will want to go see this one on a big screen and IMAX. Have a blast. I can't fault you for that if you enjoy this. For me, if you're like me and you're not a fan of the Deadpool movies, if you're not a fan of Hobbs and Shaw, if you really need some detailed storytelling and you want your mystery to be intelligent and smart and you can't stand when it's just nonstop bloody action and quips every other line of dialogue, then maybe you should just skip this because that's what you're going to get. Well, that's it for this episode of FF Plus. I will be back with another here in another day or two with a different couple of films that we'll be reviewing. But until then, hopefully some of the information I've given you on these two will help you make 
a decision. If you do see one of the films that I discuss, please let me know. Find me on social media at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E on Twitter or on Letterboxd. Come find me in our Facebook discussion group. Would love to talk with you there as well. And if you're enjoying the show, as always, please leave us a five-star Apple podcast review or a note on Spotify or any of the platforms that you listen to the podcast on. It does help us out and we're very grateful. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.